This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting, and fishing radio. Cracking show for you today. Uh, today I'm talking with Stan Leanders from Hard Antler Hunting out of New Zealand. Uh, I originally saw Stan on YouTube making some fantastic videos and pulling off some absolutely cracking shots uh, on game uh, at, at very distances and uh, doing a fantastic job doing it. So I thought I'd get him on the show uh, to talk about rifles, to talk about his hunting, to talk about hunting in New Zealand just in general. Um, we've got a lot of shows coming up for you over the next couple of months, especially towards the Christmas time as well. Uh, I've got a podcast in the works, which I did mention uh, a few shows back, which I'm about to complete the recording of this week, getting a Lots of people on the show to give their thoughts, interests, and uh, opinions on this particular topic. Most of you already know what it is, but I thought I just won't say too much more about it until I actually do it. But hopefully, there's a lot of work gone into that, and hopefully, uh, there's going to be a lot of people that enjoy it and get a lot and learn a lot out of that show. So stay tuned for that. Of course, you can find the show on australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. If you want to leave us a voicemail, jump on that website, click that right-hand side bar and leave us a voicemail. Uh, If you want to email us for any reason, australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can find all the shows on all the major good listening platforms such as iTunes, Stitcher, the Podbean app. We also have been uploading it to YouTube as well. So if you can't get access to any of those mediums, It is also on YouTube as well. That way you can listen to it anywhere, anytime. Also, too, if you had any guests that you think might be interesting to interview, let me know. I mean, I follow a lot of people on the internet, and it really is good doing a podcast, guys, in in 2020 because social media has brought a lot of us together. Uh, it gives us access to a lot of people, and no wonder why you know why podcasts were not really a thing, uh, you know, even more than 10 years ago. I think well, the first podcasts were out in around 2006, and uh, I can imagine without the internet, it would have been very, very difficult to and a lot of groundwork. To, to conduct interviews uh, before podcasting or the internet was even a thing. So I'm glad we've got social media. It's very easy to get in contact with good, like-minded people to do shows, uh, and I hope you enjoy them. So email me for any reason. If you've got any people that you'd like to hear from, certainly send me an email. Don't feel shy to send me an email because if I can get in contact with them and it looks like a good show, then absolutely I'll do it because you know, providing you guys the content that you want, is the reason that I do the show. Uh, of course, you can, you can join us um, on patreon.com forward slash AHP if you want to get all shows in advance for just a few bucks, you can support the show. Uh, I really, really appreciate actually all the people that support me uh, on Patreon because you guys know who you are. And I know I say it every single show that I do, but without you guys, I would have given up a, a year or two ago. Uh, you guys make me you know, want to keep doing it. I do enjoy doing it and uh, you know, being able to get new equipment like what I'm call recording on now, new microphones mixing decks to make my life a lot easier and to give you guys the content that you want just i really can't thank you guys enough of course if you can't support me on patreon i completely understand during these covid times you know share the show with your friends and family share it on the internet share it on your social medias that's all i ask you know in return um, for putting out these free shows which i hope you guys enjoy uh, it's been a rough couple of weeks too. the last couple of weeks i was supposed to go uh, on a few hunting trips this last 
two weeks since I recorded this show. So this one I'm recording on the 23rd of October 2020. Uh, we're supposed to be going down to shoot some rabbits again, but unfortunately the weather's been bad. If you watch the my YouTube videos on my rabbit hunts, you can go to AHP Outdoors. That's my other YouTube channel, not the one where I actually share the show, but it's my uh, outdoors hunting and YouTube review channel, whatever I want to do on there, I'm pretty much doing. Um, yeah, so if you check that out, uh, I went to a couple of rabbit properties and it's just been raining down there so it hasn't really been good at all uh, I postponed it another week and <laughs> true to luck it was raining yet again so hopefully I'm going to go on that trip if I just click my little date calendar down here uh, around the 29th of October hopefully I can do it again but I'm already looking at the 14 day forecast again so about the third week in a row it looks to be raining again on the 14 day forecast which is just absolutely shit but anyway what do you do hopefully I get away then then I've got a Riverina trip shooting ducks rabbits on the Riverina at the end of November so I'm getting a lot of shows done to record so they can release while I'm away on holidays uh, and then of course coming into Christmas I might be going to Queensland yet i'm not 100 percent sure so if anyone's up there in queensland wants to do any shows around you know obviously that christmas period into just the new year till about the 6th of january or just a bit before let us know love to hear from you love to do interviews love to do interviews in person as well so if you're interested in that certainly uh send me an email and if you can leave me a great review on itunes if you're if you use that that'd be greatly greatly appreciated i think we've got over 290 reviews on there now which is absolutely fantastic uh, if you enjoy the show, five stars, and just leave a comment. I'd love to hear what you like about the show, how long you've been listening, and I'd really appreciate it. But I think that's not why we're here, to hear me crapping on constantly. So what we're going to do is we're going to get into the show with hard antler hunting, Stan Landers. Stan, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast, mate. What a pleasure to have you on the show. I did check out a couple uh, – that's how I found you, actually. Uh, I found a couple of videos on YouTube and uh, – Mate, a couple of shots you pulled off, sir. i got to say, absolutely cracking shots, sir. Well done. Cool. Thank you. Good to be here. No worries, mate. Tell us about yourself. How did you, I guess, get into hunting? Where are you from? Give us a bit of a, a background about your, you know, just your personal history, a bit of your hunting history. It'd be great. Yeah, okay. Um, so a bit, just a bit about me is I, I'm obviously from New Zealand, so just living in the northern suburbs of Wellington with my family. Um, yeah, my wife and I just we just built a like a basic three bedroom house, and we got three kitties and one more due in a couple of weeks. So yeah, definitely cracking into the family thing. So it's really good. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I personally I own a residential construction company as well. Um, so yeah, time time is very precious. So yeah, yeah but my oldest is six and a half, right down to a couple of weeks away from being born. So um, yeah, I get to I've got a few properties, local properties that I take the girls bunny hunting on as well, rabbit hunting. Um, so yeah, we really enjoy that too. I was going to say when you you know sort of build the family and you've got you know a fair few kids as well, probably sometimes hard to get the get the hunting as as much as we'd like. You know, I have an amazing wife, and we look after each other very very well, give each other time and things. So I get to do a lot of overnight hunts, but um the multi day hunts, yeah, they were sort of a teenage year thing, <laughs> but that's okay. I'm 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 pretty content with that. 
so she's she says no nah, no nah, here's your rifle go out go hunting so um yeah just if, i find it really refreshing to go out swing the hammock and then uh, in the morning do a bit of a hunt on public land yeah, I was going to say I got I got a lot of friends that you know married a couple of kids and uh, sometimes it's never they're never saying hey here's the rifle go out hunting. <laughs> sometimes it's the opposite. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I I have an excellent wife. I'll, I'll definitely say that. Um, so I I get to go out probably every five to six weeks on an overnight hunt, depending if the weather's all right. So it's it's really good. Mate, what's it like living in Wellington? Uh, I'm not sure if you've always grew up, grew up in Wellington, but what's it like um, living in Wellington? Um, it's the perfect place to live if you're training for long-range shooting because it's very windy. <laughs> uh, so, hey, I love it. Um, I've, I've, I grew up in Wellington. and Well, not Wellington itself, kind of a rural area north of Wellington, about 45 minutes out. Um so I know nothing different, but I have no reason to move, put it that way. Yeah, exactly. What's a, I mean, what about for hunting opportunities just in general? Like have you got to travel far from where you live to sort of go on those trips? You know, an hour, a couple of hours? Is, you know, the farm's right around the corner or how far do you generally have to travel to sort of get onto some game? Yeah, so, well, a bit of context. I My parents owned 180 acres of, it was kind of farm wasteland, uh, so I grew up hunting that from when I was quite young, really, about eleven. My dad handed me an unshoots twenty-two and told me to cull all the goats off the pine block, um, and so I did that after school. Uh, but I got yeah. In terms of opportunities around Wellington, there, there's a few parks here, like the Tatarua's are here, um, the Orangarongas, which is where I hunt personally. So it's it's pretty good, really. You only have to travel an hour, an hour and a half, and you're into to good good hunting areas. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I saw one of your videos too, and I think maybe it's got to do with your work. And you were, I think it was one of the deer you shot, maybe with the six five. Might have been the six five Creedmoor. I think it was two. I think it was two deer in the one video, and uh, I yeah. think it might have been the second one on the hill. And you sort of zoomed in, and it was just on like an open crest on one of the side of the hills. And I was like, "Man, you yeah. look like you were shooting from your from your workshop or something." I thought, "Bloody hell, that's pretty good." I eh? just pull it, you know, you work and then pull out a gun and do some long range <laughs> shooting while while you finish work, you know. <laughs> and and that was the cool thing is my parents owned a property that was. It was just crawling with deer, pigs, goats. And I had a system set up in that shed where I pretty much started mass bulking out rifles and I'd kit them out for long range and test them. So I took the hinges off one of the windows, dropped that window down, and I could shoot all the way out to 800 yards on gongs and targets. So basically the bench system worked from right to left. The rifle would just come in, get bedded, straight away straight into hand loading and load development it was like you know i could get them sorted everything verified in a week um so it was really really cool so i think i did probably about 40 or 50 rifles in that workshop for guys um and got yeah just got my head around you know internal ballistics and terminal ballistics and all that sort of thing so when you were yeah. just talking about that too, so what are you, you're helping out friends, just decking out rifles, what were you doing? They were looking to, what, your experience to help them out, new shooters getting into the sport or? Yeah, so I helped a lot of guys out. 
I didn't do it for for money, so to speak, because I just really enjoyed it and just wanted to learn learn the ropes. But I also um, I also bought and sold secondhand rifles, um, and I would I knew there was a bit of a market for a lot of these guys that were kind of fifties plus who didn't quite have their head around everything. They just wanted a a rifle that was sorted, came with a hundred hand loads. Um, and I used to do ballistic turret sticker kits as well. So it was all in yards and they could just dial it, bang, shoot, take it hunting the next week. So yeah, it was fun. It just kind of the profit that I made off it fueled, you know, my food and my clothing for my hunting. So I never actually touched our personal account with my hobbies. That was the whole idea. Yeah, not bad at all. Sounds good, mate. You're mm-hmm. talking about your your dad with the Anschultz when you were younger. Is that how you got into shooting, or how does one from New Zealand, you know, when they're younger, get into just hunting in general? Was it a family tradition, or was it just dad, or was it just you know? Because it seems to be, especially considering between New Zealand and Australia, like New Zealand has much more of a. I mean, even though we have, I guess, a rich culture here of hunting, I guess more so in New Zealand, more accepted, I would say, in New Zealand than it is here in Australia. Yeah, so my dad, I had a, a dad who spent a lot of time with me, which was really cool. Um, and obviously buying a farm, I just took to it like a pig to mud. I just loved it. Um, so he wasn't really a hairy, hard-out hunter, but he sort of he dabbled in it enough. So, you know, we went out and, yeah, when the, especially when the red stag roar came around, our place, it was just like Christmas. There were just stags everywhere. Um, and so he, we got into it, and I just I got a bug for it really bad. Yeah. I was going to say, I'd love to get a – if I could afford it, I could win the lottery. I'd love to get, you know, like a property where it's just full of deer, <laughs> full of pigs, <laughs> full of rabbits, uh, you name it. I just It'd be worth a million bucks, but, oh, God, I'd love to buy one if I won the lottery. But fortunately, that hasn't <laughs> happened yet, dude. So hopefully one day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mate, uh, let's talk about animals you like to hunt. What do you, what do you enjoy to hunting? Um, what sort of sparks your interest in hunting? What do you like to hunt? I mean, when you get to go at it, at it sort of every every you know six weeks, a couple of months. What do you, what do you like to target? Yeah, so I mean, like because I, I've got responsibilities to my kids, and I'm I'm very you know I try I want to be a committed father. Um, I'm. I've just chosen to be pretty content with, I call them small hunts. So just red deer and pigs really that are just local. So I, I really enjoy that. So the red stag huntings, I, I do enjoy that a fair bit. Yeah, I know. What is it about deer though? What is it about deer and pigs? I mean, I like that too. I never thought years ago, I mean, we can sort of get access to it here in Australia, especially I'm in New South Wales, Sydney. So I'm probably only about four weeks from heading down to the Riverina in New South Wales. We've got a lot of rice fields, so we're able to do, you know, um, permit uh, duck hunting, you know, for like as long as we're there. So for the, in, in this case, it'll be about a week and a half to shoot ducks. And I always love my, my waterfowl hunting. And then I got heavily into, you know, fox calling and that sort of thing. I love fox hunting. And then I thought, oh, I don't know if I'd love the deer hunting so much, but mate, what, as you know, once you get onto your first deer, whether it's, you know, short, in my case, it was short range shooting. I was within about Oh, my first deer, probably about 15 or 20 metres, maybe 30 metres max uh, on my first deer. And as you know, when you get your first deer or your first large animal, 
Um, I was sitting there waiting. Most people that know me took about five years to get my first deer hunting on public land. And obviously doing right. the obviously doing the show, you know, you get lots of offers, which I really appreciate. But you know what? I wanted to do it on my own, and mate, eventually I was successful in doing that. And there's nothing like hunting that big game. And uh, you know, if your heart's not racing, it's it's you might as well give it up yeah. because it's not hunting, eh? If, if your heart's not racing, yeah, that, and that's that's very true. So that's another reason why I've just started to set up a compound bow <laughs> as well, just to um, change it up with you know, the long range shooting, I think once the excitement dulls off, you might have to, I want to change it up and do something a bit different. But, um, but yeah, I think for me, the red, I, I really enjoy shooting pigs. Uh, it's a bit different here in New Zealand, but the main reason is, is because I really enjoy breakfast sausages. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, oh, and, and the kids love them. So for me, I, I rarely will pull the trigger on a, juvenile stag something that needs to mature like i walk away from a lot of deer basically so mature hinds i just don't shoot them um so yeah when it comes to the when it comes to the rutting season for the red stags as well i just yeah i'm i have a bit of a goal in mind of what i'm trying to get and i end up just walking away from a lot um but the main reason why i go out and do what I do really is to is to provide the meat um, and so I've sort of yeah I think for me it's more a it's a work now um, and a, maybe a play later when the kids have left home or they're a little bit older and I can go do multi-day hunts and really sort of hone in on that trying to get that 12 point public land stag or something like that yeah you good point you brought up a good point there too because some people ask me that a lot and you know about you know passing on animals and i said yeah what's well, difficult sometimes isn't it because and that's what i was going to ask you about public versus private because you know when you're hunting private i guess sometimes you can afford and this might be good your experience over the years as well to let me know but when you're hunting on private land sometimes you might be able to you know you probably can less people other people are hunting the property you can leave that you know, leave that maturing stag maybe till next year or the year after. But on public land, as you probably know, sometimes <laughs> there may not be any guarantee that 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 stag yeah. is going to come out again because someone else might shoot it. So, what do you do? Do you do you pull the trigger on it there and then? Um, you know, with, with the best genetics that you can get at that time, or do you let it mature with the hope that you know someone else may take it on public land in the future? You know, and you and you, you leave it for a year or two, and someone else gets it on you. You know. Yeah, that's true. I mean. Yeah, I sort of go, I walk out into the wop box on public land. Um, it's In fact, it's hard to get guys to want to come with me because <laughs> i like, no thanks, it's a death sentence. Um, so for me, it's like uh, sometimes I actually think to myself, I'm pretty stuffed already climbing up this hill, so I really want to pull the trigger at 600 yards and drop that animal <laughs> and then have to get it. Um, so, yeah, there's all, all different factors in hunting and, yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's it's interesting. So what the place that you hunt, what it's quite hilly, is it? I'd probably be the same. I I've seen the hills from a lot of the photos from guys that I follow over there on social media as well. <laughs> Man, some of those hills over there, you guys do it. Re- you've got to be pretty fit over there to, to to get up some of these hills. I've seen. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I really enjoy um, the Rumatakas. Not a lot of other guys do, so there's not a lot of hunters in there, which is cool. But um. Yeah, I would say 50% of it's 
inaccessible. You just can't walk over it. It's just rock faces. Um, and so, yeah, in an, in an overnight hunt, I'll, I'll walk maybe 30 kilometres and climb 1,000 metres. Um, so it's just hard, hard going, really. Yeah, I can imagine it's pretty, uh, pretty difficult. You were talking about your your breakfast sausage too. What's that pre? Mate, I love getting out when I get my venison. Uh, coming back, and I just bought some. And I haven't even used it yet. Bought it about three, four months ago now. Um, a, a big commercial mincer. So I had an old crappy one before, which did the job. But now I've got a good one that's just going to hopefully mince up. You know, meat mm. like meat like no one's business. But I love getting back. I love making the bordervors, which is a South African one. I love. Um, I think it's Worcestershire and pepper. I love. There's plenty that I like to make. So, what do you do? Do you just buy a package mix like me and and put together the breakfast sausage, or do you put fresh ingredients in, or what do you like to do? Well, to be honest, after humping the meat out for four hours, I just drop it off to a butcher. <laughs> and, he doesn't uh, leave it up to him and say make the best sausage. So for our venison sausages, we go rosemary and coriander, or, or we do a shirt. So, um, you know, so we're just trying to stick sausages and kids for dinner. You know, like eat, 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 eat. So whatever they eat, we just make. Yeah, basically. Yeah. How, how does that? And speaking about that too, I mean. How does that make a difference? Do you think? I mean, we spent, and someone was talking about to me this probably about a week or two ago, actually, and I found it very interesting. They say, well, we do want to go out and get meat, but, you know, sometimes with the amount of travel we do with cars, four wheel drives, fuel, guns, ammunition, you know, tires, car servicing, I mean, clothing, uh, binoculars, optics, uh, <laughs> you know, do we really get our monies back when it comes down to, no. you know, taking game animals? I mean, I guess if you're on a pretty rich, target-rich environment where you can take, you know, five or six, you know, small ones, maybe small eaters every every couple of weeks and, you know, it's not really beneficial price-wise for our hip pocket, is it? Nah, I mean, no way. It's like fishing, you know, by the time you tally up, the $45,000 boat and everything, you might as well go to the supermarket and, you know, and buy 600 bucks worth of fish every week. But, you know, it's, it's about being out there and the fresh air, enjoying it and, you know, sort of a community as well with friends and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Guys, we've got a quick break and we'll be right back. Camo Warehouse is Australia's leading supplier of quality hunting clothing and accessories. We stock leading outdoor clothing brands such as Rocky Boots, Georgia Boots, Hunter's Element, Ridgeline, Spiker, 511, Stony Creek and many more. Camo Warehouse is the leading supplier of optics and shooting accessories including Leopold, Bushnell, Zerotech, Lyman, Powerbeam and Lightforce. We can also order in custom Boyd stocks from the US to your specific requirements. Camo Warehouse offers flexible zero interest payment options including afterpay and zip pay order via our website at camowarehouse.com.au or give us a call on 02 6771 2836 Stan if you were going to pick you said you like pigs and deer but if you had to pick one number one game animal to hunt in New Zealand what is it? It would have to be the tar the Himalayan tar yeah. I mean where and where else can you go but the Himalayas, which who really wants to go to the Himalayas, let's be honest, um, <laughs> to go and hunt that majestic animal? Um, yeah, absolutely the tar. 
Yeah, I was, look, I've been doing a few, I think I've done some discussions with a few people from New Zealand over the last probably year, a couple of people that I've interviewed, and yeah, pretty pretty sucky the way they're trying to, you know, target the, the tar in New Zealand and, you know, try, you know, removing, you know, or trying to at least cull quite a significant number of them, which is a bit sad because, you know, it's a very, very good game animal. That's a hard one, isn't it? The very The very difference between, you know, looking after the, you know, the flora and fauna of New Zealand to you know, the benefits of the tar being on the mountains and stuff. So it's a very, very interesting mm. thing. Yeah, it is. It is, it is sad. Definitely. I want to talk about, um, if you, okay, bucket list hunts. This, this will be a good one because I always enjoy asking this question. So if you had not only some bucket list hunts in New Zealand, but what about outside of New Zealand as well? Anywhere you want to hunt and, you know, shoot or anywhere in the world you'd like to do some hunting in your career over the next, say, you know, when your kids grow older or next 10, 20 years? Yeah. So, like, I I haven't done an extensive amount of hunting in New Zealand. So I've done a chamois hunt, um, but I've never actually gone for tar. And now that we're trying to rid them off the face of the earth, I think that's definitely on my bucket list to shoot, to shoot a bull tar. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, the one that I've got, Right now, is I would love to shoot a twelve, a minimum twelve point stag in the North Island public land. Um, that's what I've been trying to tick off. It's proven quite difficult within the ranges that we we're in at the moment. But and then I'd love to shoot a whitetail. So that'd be another one that going down to Stewart Island to do. Um, but internationally. My wife was born in Canada, so we have planned to go back to visit for a good few months. And my oldest daughter has said to me, we have to go for a moose hunt, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, so that would be probably the one. I mean, I've yeah, I'm quite patient and quite content with picking through the species in New Zealand first. Um, there's plenty of adventure there for me. Um, yeah. yeah. But, but a moose would be cool. Yeah. That's the interesting part, isn't it? When I look at you know what you can hunt in New Zealand, oh god, I've seen some of these deer, these red deer. I tell you what, you guys aren't spoiled for game, that's for sure. Absolutely, <laughs> I, nope. I, I want to get over. I just got to get my fitness in order. You know, I've seen you and I've seen myself, and but I've got to lose about twenty kegs to get up some of these mountains. So <laughs> it's going to be a bit tough, but uh, I'm sure I'll be able to do it, um, mate. Well, let's get into the uh, good, interesting talk about. You know, some firearms calibers for hunting. What do you like? Guess what do you shoot? What do you enjoy? What do you think works on, you know, the game over in New Zealand? Yeah, so I, my go-to caliber is the two eight four Winchester, and I think that should be everybody's go-to caliber. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Why do you think that should be the the go-to caliber? I've seen you, you know, on your YouTube videos and stuff, and the, the six five Creedmoor, and I've I've got a bit of a, a mixture of guns from you know two four three to um, I didn't want to go the two sixty just just due to the man bun um, comments from people, so I went two sixty <laughs> Remington, um, and then I just bought I've got a seven mil Magnum for hunting, and then I've I bought yeah. a I bought a Bagara B fourteen in the in the three hundred Wim Mag, so I've got a base of coverage there. But why the two eighty four Winchester? I mean, I wouldn't say it was, I guess, uh, common to most. But what would you? What do you like about it? Why is that? Yeah. Okay. So for for me personally, I I'm 
I want to go to one rifle that can do everything. Um, so I'm shooting, you know, heavy bullets out of that rifle. And, well, I have owned many, many, many calibers in trying to find the perfect caliber. Um, so I'm climbing tall. Everything for me is about shaving weight so I can actually get up those hills and still perform good ethical shots within six, seven hundred yards. Um, so the reason why I do the two eight four is because it's a short action. Well, it's actually a medium action, but you can put it into a short action of a particular type, and you can run one eighty grain bullets with really, really high ballistic coefficients, and you sort of with the right powder and recipe and things like that, you're getting pretty close to a 7mm mag anyway, just with a lot less anger and a lot less fierce compared to the Magnum. Um, but you're still achieving those external ballistics that are so close. You you really, you, within a, for a hunting situation, you've got everything you need. Um, and then if you want to change that, 180 grain bullet you want to just shoot I don't know wallabies or whatever you're shooting you can run a 139 grain I mean yeah you're going to blow things to pieces with it but it's still yeah it's very versatile for me it's a versatile caliber yeah. when you're sort of shooting these calibers does he like dear dear I know I know a guy actually friend of mine actually he'd pretty much I think he's got one shotgun and I think he might have a 308 I think he's got and he pretty much just uses that for everything I said well what do you do when you shoot foxes he goes oh, I use the 308 I go well, what about rabbits and he goes I use the 308 I just head shoot him and and yeah that's the that's the end of it so is it is it the fact that you've only got one gun now or is it you've got plenty more in the safe or you're just using that one specifically right now for hunting yeah okay so I use it for large game hunting but I personally wouldn't shoot like even a piglet, it's sort of, you feel a bit like, okay, there's not going to be a lot of meat that comes off this. Um, yeah, so I, I, I would specifically use it for large game hunting. Yeah, cool. What about, your, what about small game hunting or what about maybe goats or whatever, you get an opportunity on rabbits and what what else do you own and what do you enjoy shooting on the, on the smaller game? Yeah, okay. So usually what I've got in my locker, well, right now I've got a 22 Magnum. Um, that's for rabbits exclusively. Um, I don't shoot a lot of goats. I, I sort of, I used to, but I'll, I'll help dock out a little bit and just take, you know, I'll pick a goat, say, at 750 yards um, just for a bit of a practice shot. And, yeah, but that's still, you know, I would say you're not going to do that with a 243. Um so, yeah, I, I use the 284 for everything sort of above 40 kilo in weight, really. Yeah. And what about your – is that on the those videos when you were shooting the, the 6.5s, are they, are they yours? Are they, have you gotten rid of them or have you gone to something, you've gone to that 284 or what's the situation there? <laughs> yeah, okay. I haven't taken a lot of videos of my 284s. Um, so I've been using the 284 for about three years now. So the six and a half Creedmoor, that was mine personally. Um, that was kind of part of my quest of finding the perfect caliber for me. Um, but yeah, done a lot of 308s and I've gone all the way out to 300 rum and things like that. 
Yeah. So, I've got to admit, even the, the six fives, I mean, whether, I mean, I've never, well, I do own the 260 now, I have so for about two, two to three years now, probably two and a half years. And yeah, I mean, you know, for that mid range hunting and stuff, I've just never not found anything, not to say better, I won't say better, but I'll just say it's, it's sort of blown my mind, especially with the, you know, the ballistics of, of, of this cartridge. I mean, the, some of the you know, bullets you can shoot, the BCs you're getting out of these bullets, which we will talk about in, in probably a few moments as well. Yeah, it's just one of those interesting calibers that I actually really enjoy shooting. Um, it's, yeah. it's just mild recoil. If you, you don't have to put a brake on it, but if you do, it becomes even more milder. It's like you're not shooting anything at all. It's just, you know, one of those yeah. things where they just fly through the air. And I've, as, you, as you know, you've seen a couple of those shots where you shot the, I think the EODMs, which we'll also talk about a bit later. Um, you know, yeah. bang, flop on the spot pretty much. Yeah, I, I think the 6.5 Creedmoor is the best thing that has happened to the world of cartridges in a long time. I think it knocks out the 270 Winchester. You know, it knocks yeah, a lot of those calibers that were favourites, the 308, it's, it's even the 708, it's knocking them all out of the park. Absolutely. Yep. And uh, what about, I noticed people online too, and I think a couple of your videos, I've seen a couple of other guys from New Zealand doing this as well, but they've got the these just new sort of innovation. And I guess I understand it's very hilly. You need to cut weight. They've got these bush pig style <laughs> rifles. Love the yep. terminology. Tell us about these types of rifles. What are they used for? What what are they? Because people may not know what that even means here in Australia. Can you give us a rundown? Yeah, okay. So I believe Greg Dooley was the one that started to tinker with the idea. Um and he did did very well with it. And he sort of showed that the short actions with the right powder and bullet weights and things like that can be used very effectively without losing a lot of speed. Um, so, yeah, I have tinkered a fair bit with the bush pigs, he called, we call them, um, mainly with 308 going all the way down to 13 and a half inches. Um, yeah, so what I found was I've got a chronograph and lots of different powders what I found is to lose the least speed through your short barrel run you want to run the heaviest bullet you can for your twist rate um, and there's certain powders that work very very well in those short barrels as well um, so my 284s that I've run I've gone down to 15 inches and I found with the 284, um, I just lost a little bit too much speed. So I've 18 inches is where I finished them up. And I've also run all the way out to 26-inch barrels on the 284. And the gain, the gain for making the, you know, the rifle tricky, it's, it's not really worth it. You only gain about 80 feet per second. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Probably. And what? And what's the? What's the, I guess the purpose of the bush pig is what to have. You know, obviously, you know, you're up on the hill, fitness-wise. Uh, guns easy to move around. Doesn't have a long barrel. Very easy to carry. Takes off a bit of weight, etc. Yeah, that's right. So, basically, because you're not losing a lot of velocity, you can suppress it, and yeah, you shave weight, you shave length, because a lot of our bush here can be pretty crap. You can be walking through good bush. And then you just hit this rubbish, and if you're walking with a 26-inch barrel magnum, it doesn't. It's not that kind. So the idea is, yeah, shave the weight, shave the length, 
chuck the thing on your back and just scramble up the hill, smashing through the bush without this big link. I'm not sure if you've had this, but you carry your 26-inch barrel 7mm remag, and every tree the barrel gets hung up on, basically, and it feels like all day you're doing some sort of bro nod to the sky, and it's not really that cool. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, no, I get, I get exactly. I mean, I mean, we've got some limitations. I think in in my state, but I think we can go down to sixteen inches. But I must admit, I had a, 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 a ticker T three X, one of the first guns I ever owned, and I turned it into a little dedicated uh, spotlighting rig slash you know fox calling rig. And I think I cut mm. it down, and people used to laugh at me. You know, when I had the, it was a turning two to three, so because I cut it down to. <laughs> to 16 we can't you know obviously can't have suppressors here which sucks but we, i put a br- muzzle brake on it and on a, on a 223 but that was because again cut it down it had a bit of a bark on it but without it um mate it was a oh mate it was so maneuverable it was just you could hold it in literally one hand because it was the light barreled version but when mm. you shot with it you'd have you know sometimes you'd have two foxes come into a stand you'd shoot one the gun wouldn't even move you know, like cause two to three for a start, plus with a break, it wouldn't move. You wouldn't lose sight. Picture, bang, follow up, sometimes taking out, you know, two foxes when you were calling him in with a whistle or a or an electronic mm. caller. So it did, it, it did work pretty well. And um, uh, when you're shooting some of those calibers, anyway, obviously when you're up in the hills, you're probably shooting a lot of big games, so you'd have the, you know, big uh, sort of large cartridges. How much does the... You know, I don't think suppressors are probably as good as muzzle brakes. That, that's what they say on the internet, but... Does it make a difference, obviously? Does it tame it right down with a decent sort of suppressor when you cut down the barrel on those sort of heavier cartridges? Yeah, so, like, don't get me wrong. There are some cons to it. One of the um, one of the cons is that you lose length to disperse heat through the barrel, so you don't get as many shot strings that you can. But one of the pros is we put over-barrel suppressors on it and that little barrel just becomes really, really rigid, so they tend to be a bit more accurate as well. Um, but in terms of shooting them up on the hill, big game, yeah, you do get a bit more um, barrel jump, so the, it feels like it's sort of kicking up off the front of the bipod or whatever. But um, in terms of, you know, if you've got a dog with you, you save your dog's ears, you save your own ears, you save your mate's ears, um, because, yeah, muzzle brakes are just wicked things, really. I know you're telling me I can't wait till Australia gets with the times and actually <laughs> thinks we're all not a bunch of, you know, bunch of contract killers and actually actually have you know a device that's you know not only good for everyone, good for you know ranges, yeah. good for public land, good for private land, less noise. But you know our politicians unfortunately stand have zero sense, <laughs> like most of them. You know, uh, I think you could go in just with a health and safety, you know, motive like. I mean, how many hearing aids do you want to be putting in hunters' ears because of those brakes? They're, they're atrociously loud. Um, I've experienced that lying next to someone. Yeah, got a full 170 decibels right in my ears, so it wasn't very cool. No, it's not. I, I was just talking to a friend about that the other day, about, you know, getting some good earring protection and, you know, we probably should be using it so loud. You know, the average, um, you know, pair of, hearing protection even good ones like 3m maybe 31 32 decibels at best i mean is that even dropping it down to a usable level 
that's not going to still damage your ears when you're right behind it. You know, obviously it's way better than using nothing and much better, but, you know, you're still probably that 20, 20 dB over, maybe more 30 dB over, you know, what's safe to be able to hear. So even though you are using protection, you can still, instead of losing your hearing fast, you lose it. A lot slower so a lot of people are talking about double ear protection I just we need to get with the times and get get some suppressors yep 100 percent. i guess i don't need to convince you do i <laughs> no, no I've, I've tried tried to muzzle break here and there and just i mean my ears ring on at 22 you know i they just as soon as i shoot i can feel it um but yeah we don't need to walk around like we're in world war ii with zombie shell shock after we hunt so yeah i'm a suppressor man big time Mate, let's talk about, and this is a lot of people on this show, I mean, again, I know some people, you know, can afford the the more expensive gear, you know, there's hunters out there that have got, you know, disposable incomes, maybe, no, you know, smaller or smaller or no families at all, can afford to stretch their finances to expensive scopes, expensive rifles, you name it, So, but a lot of people yep. listen to this show, they're just average people, working people, families, which I like to cater for, how, how do people, you know, if they want to get into sort of that... Um, you know, just shooting in general, but more so, you know, medium and long range shooting on a budget, what do they need to do? So we're talking, you know, scopes, we're talking off-the-shelf factory rifles. Can you give us a bit of a rundown of some tips and tricks as well from people that, um, you know, what your best way to, you know, get out and start is and do some load development as well? Yeah. Um, I think I'll make a distinction straight off the back. I'm not a target shooter. Um, so I can't speak to that world at all. Um, but I think I, when people ask me that question, I say to them, picture it like drag racing. If you want to go nine seconds, you have to spend so much on your car. If you want to go eight and a half, you're going to have to, it's, it's sort of that curve. So it's the kind of the same with yards. People come in and they've got, you know, a ticker and they want to do this and that. And the first thing I say is, well, how far do you want to hunt with it? If you want to hunt to 400 yards, it's very different than wanting to hunt to 600. And if you want to hunt to 800, I just say I wouldn't really advise it. But, um, yeah, I guess it's a bit of how far you want to shoot is what you're going to have to do to get precision, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what? What? Are, yeah. What do they need to do in regards to rifles? What should they be selecting? Anything in particular? Let's go. Let's probably start with rifles first. I would say. Yeah. So I would say you know all hunting should be kind of sub seven hundred yards because past that, you know, you need you do need some pretty high precision. Um, so in terms of rifles, I've actually owned mostly budget rifles, and I've only had one Ruger. Mark one that I could not get it to shoot well. So, it, you know, the Tika is is an excellent platform to just go and grab one. They hold their secondhand value as well. Um, I've shot a lot of Savage, even the Axis. I know it's dirt cheap, but you bed those and they just shoot. They just shoot well all day. Um, so I'm more. I think the rifle manufacturers now, a lot of them are doing, you know, sub MOA guaranteed. Um, and if you get, yeah, basically most rifles in and work on the base of the rifle, I really do believe you can get pretty much all of them shooting under an inch at 100 yards. That's been my experience. Yeah, right. Very good. And what is that? Obviously, 
some of those cheaper rifles. Again, that's subject to what bedding and, and good hand loads. But then again, I guess any rifle. I've, yeah. I remember years ago, I think I had a 7 mil 08. I think it was a Tika. Yeah, it was. And um, yeah, great caliber. I really enjoyed shooting it. But just back then, probably eight years ago in Australia, it wasn't really your most popular rifle going around. So getting components yeah. sometimes was, you know, especially brass was a lot more difficult. Um, but, you know, when I started, I remember I had some factory ammo. <laughs> I think it was shooting dinner plates there for a while. Mate, first, literally the first load that I shot, first load, not Sammy's spec seating depth, mate, straight into the first load, it was clover leafing on the on the first powder charge. I was like, oh, this is pretty darn good. You know, I've just reduced it from about eight inches to 10 inches down to, you know, probably, yeah. you know, 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7 of an inch at the worst. So um, let's go into, yeah. ha- before we go into scopes, let's go into hand load. I mean, it's, hand load's about getting those rifles to shoot well, are you are you using only hand loads? Are you using factory? What do people need? You reckon? Yeah. So anyone that I, I I actually went to the range last night with a friend, and he's got a Remington mountain rifle, not bedded, running factory ammo, and it, we just kept losing it. It just it just wasn't playing the ball. And he said, "What do I do?" I said, "Bed the thing." He's like, "But it's in a bell and castness. Doesn't matter. Bed it and run hand loads because." I call it pulling the stickers off the Rubik's Cube of accuracy. Um, yeah, I mean, some some rifles will shoot fine with factory ammo, but you can't beat a good hand load. So I I don't buy any factory ammo. It's all, all hand loads exclusively. And any rifle that comes in, I bed, I'll do a full-length bedding job on it as well. Um, with, the, with Nathan Foster's stuff, the Terminal Ballistics, um, bedding kits are absolutely fantastic. Yeah, actually, that was one a really popular show. I actually did a did a show with Nathan probably uh, probably about seven or eight weeks ago. It was very 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 popular. Actually, he's quite quite a nice fellow, quite a knowledgeable fellow. Yeah, just you know, down to earth, knows his stuff, and he's also he's not caught up in the marketing silliness um, of you need this, you need that. He's just yeah, he's just a good straight up shooter. Yeah, and I've noticed that too, especially in the rifles and like, yeah, the key to like the vortex of, as they say, unlocking accuracy, so to speak. You know, a lot of people go, how do I get it? You know, why is it not shooting good? And I said, mate, if you're going to go shoot factory ammo, you know, you got you got to test a few. You've got to test a few. Could be powder charge, could be seeding depth, could be a lot of different things about why this thing's not shooting. Um, mm. You know, but again, unlocking that potential of that rifle you know, is, is the key to getting this most success out of it. That's why I sort of, you know, I respect anyone that wants to do it, but I know, I've known guys that sort of running, you know, expensive rifles, you know, they buy the tax or the Tika tax or the Ruger Precisions, etc. And then I go, and then they've got like a, you know, they've got you know, cash to you know, blow as much as they want, you know, disposable income coming out of their ears. And they put a, a two to $3,000 scope on there. The whole package is worth 5K. And then they mm. come to me and go, man, I'm shooting factory ammunition. I go, mate, you're mad. You're absolutely mad. You've got to, if you're going to spend that sort of money, get don't just buy this gear and expensive gear. Get out there and learn your rifle. Learn your hand loads. Oh, I don't really want to do that. Okay, well then, I mean, I guess you do what you want to do. Like, I'm, I'm all for that. I'm a big proponent of that. But if you want to get the benefits out of this gun, you just spend a 5K package. Get, you know, spend another 1,000, get some reloading gear, and let's get the potential out of this thing. Yeah, that's it's kind of like sticking ninety five octane in your in your drag, you know, your funny car. 
<laughs> or my old little Datsun 180B from 1985, you know, putting you know putting a supercharger on it, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's like just yeah, just see it as a whole package um, and do it properly. If you want to go long range, you can't. You, you sort of can't cut corners. I say you can't really pull the stickers off the Rubik's cube with accuracy in long range. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, no, I totally, totally agree, man. Um, before before we ask you, I skipped a question. My bad. I should slap myself on the head here. But, mate, let's talk about the – before we get into scopes, let's talk about the YouTube stuff, which is, you know, I know you do a little bit of it, but that's you know, when you get time, you do like to share a bit of stuff. I mean, uh, do you enjoy doing that? What's the plan for it? Do you plan on doing it? Is it sort of just when you get the opportunity to do it that you like to do it, a bit like myself, I guess, so to speak? Um, yeah, just tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so – for me, I'm I'm a builder, so I run around on roofs and lift stuff and all, all day. So to come home and sit down and do what I call sort of artwork on the computer, I, I very much enjoyed that because it's contrasting, you know. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, yep. So do I plan to make a try and make a living out of it? No, no, I'll stick to being a builder. Because um, <laughs> every every millennial seems to be trying to make a living off YouTube or. Instagram and I just just enjoy a bit of banter and sharing what you know what I've learned and things like that. No, it's good. Some of the stuff, and it's what it's all about learning. Like I've learned so much from people on the internet, and you know, if they can do well in doing that, God bless them. But you know, like sometimes I think I've got a couple of mates that do it as well, and they've done quite well. And I just think, you know, but one day, you know, we always know these things are sometimes a fly by nighters, unfortunately. And a lot of the, mm. you know, a lot of the you know, social medias that were around twenty years ago, you know, aren't around today. So I said, you know, don't be banking your whole life on on one particular thing, you know, but. You know, thankfully, most of my guys are into other things and other forms of income working and stuff like that, so that's good. But um, all right, let's talk about interesting yeah. one. And I have watched your, your scope video. I think it was, I'm not sure if it was a one-part series. It was a one-part series. I think it might have been two. I can't remember just offhand. But I remember you were talking about scopes. And, yeah, again, a lot of people that listen to this show, you know, people – and I was the proponent of this too sometimes. I think there's pros and cons to both. You know, I was of the thing before, like, you buy this rifle and then I put the cheapest piece of crap scope on it possible – um, but then again, I've come to sort of realize I do like decent sort of glass on my scopes. I do like if I can afford it to, to spend yeah. a li- little bit extra, especially around, you know, tracking and stuff like that. Some people say it's not beneficial, but, you know, when you get more expensive stuff, it's left less likely to have problems or not come back to zero if you buy the cheaper stuff. But I know you've had some good success with, you know, sort of that low to yeah, mid-price sort of scope. So, what do we mm. need? What do you think is yeah? Just give me your, just a general overview of scopes in general for that shooting, hunting, medium to long range shooting. Yeah, be great. Yeah. Okay. Um. So I think what you need, and for to shoot sub six hundred yards, I actually believe I've box tested a lot of different scopes, and a lot of them tracked enough well enough for I, what I think is the average hunter, what he needs every year. So, I mean, if you want to go and splash out on a scope, go for it, you know. There's no stopping there. The only thing I would say with the lower-end scopes is you want some sort of reticle that gives you wind holds rather than dialing for the wind left and right um, because, yeah, a lot of those lower-end scopes, they do, after you really start cranking them up and down, up and down, 
you do need to take them to the range and just verify your zero is, is perfect again. But in saying that, calibrating scopes is not all that difficult either. So as long as it tracks repeated, repeatedly, um, you, if it tracks 0.95 of an MOA instead of one, you can actually just put that into your, your ballistics data anyway. So, yeah, I have used, I mean, I've, I have gone through to some high-end scopes but I just find that I can't really, yeah, I can't find the difference between, in terms of track, you know, tracking and things like that. Um, I just stick. My go-to is the VX3. Um, that's where I sit. Yeah, and I can confirm that too, actually, especially on, you know, some of my, like I've got a little, I think it's, geez, what is it? It's a little Hawk scope on my 22. Um, I think it's an old T1X or whatever it is. And yeah, I mean, it's only a cheap scope. I wouldn't probably dial with that one because it is only about 160 bucks Australian I bought it for. But when I'm actually yeah. using the – when I collaborated, I think, with the with the Strelock app, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I think it's got five mil dots. I think that's my little plinker. And I've got it just – I've got it, I've, I've printed out the little thing, so I'm good from about 60 metres pretty much for the five mil dots up to around – that's zeroed at 60 metres, I think, is it up to about 160 metres. And I gave it to a mate probably a couple of months ago. And I had a little rabbit gong, and I just said, well, we've got to test it out before we shoot. And I said, just, you know, grab that. And I, hang, I go, hang on, just look. I said, look at the number. I said, that's about 158 metres. I said, just aim a little bit under the, you know, a five mil dot. Bing, bing, bing on the little rabbit gong. And he was stoked. He like, really just couldn't believe it. He goes, oh, this is amazing. And I said, well, aim for that little can over there or something. Just shoot that, you know, just to confirm, you know, that's, you know, 122. So I said, you know, blah, blah, you know, 3.9, 3.8. I said, just aim under the four. Bing, knocking them. He was. He couldn't believe it. He goes, "Mate, wow! You know how accurate's that?" And I said, "Yeah, mate. It doesn't take much to, you know, get it. You know, use the reticle and and just get out there. And at least if you had a bigger caliber, you're know, not saying the recoil is maybe going to be kind on cheaper scopes. Maybe it's no problem. I don't know. But at the end of the day, you can max out your reticle on a decent, maybe heavy." caliber rifle and get out a fair way i said on five or six mil dots i mean i think on the 260 i'm going five mils on the uh on the 260 so i said that's out to you know 550 meters i mean that's not a bad shot so i said it's it's doable yeah. when let's not take into wind consideration it's a whole different kettle of fish but <laughs> yep. you know on the yep. scope mate no problems at all and he was stoked because i've got to get one of these and get this app i've got to get it done myself and i said mate very simple to do yeah yeah so I mean, that's the thing. I would say, you know, it's a bit like the drag car thing again. If you're going past 700 yards, you're not going to be able to use those. You just don't want to use those cheaper scopes. You also don't want to be using holdovers. Um, but sub sub that, 600 yards and under. Like I set up a lot of rifles with the Vortex crossfires. And um, they all just tracked really, really well. Yeah, it's amazing you can actually get good results. People think sometimes out there, as you said, there is a limit on what you can get at a certain scope. So, I mean, again, if people are going to shoot that far too, again, they've got to you know, make sure they're training, they're doing the right stuff. You know, right. they're, they're learning their gun, they're learning their load, they're trying to learn when, they're getting experience. I mean, 
you know, obviously you've been doing it for quite a while. Like I'm probably, I think I'm good with my 260 probably out to, you know, 550, 600 on a gong, no problem whatsoever, maybe 650, but that's really about it. Yeah, that's where I'm comfortable at right now. And I probably wouldn't consider, you know, at least for me, for my own ethics, you know, uh, yeah, further than that at the moment because I just don't think I've got enough experience and skill, especially surrounding wind to take those longer shots. But I'm sure, you know, as you get more confident, that comes in time, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 definitely. All right, got a good question here, mate. This is a good one for you. What are your top two to three mistakes you think people make when getting into, you know, shooting at those longer distances? Yeah, okay. I've got um, – I'll go for three, all right? Perfect. I'm going to say guys get too hung up spending lots and lots of time on calculating ballistic drop. Um, is, is my first one. They sort of, yeah, they spend a lot of time when it's not actually that difficult. Cool, yeah. So what, what yeah. just because they spend, yeah, it's not, what, they spend too much time trying to collaborate, it, you mean, or can you just delve on that a little yeah. bit more? Yeah, so they'll sort of, I guess, well, I'll give you all three of them and then I'll tell you why, okay? Perfect. So spending too much time calculating ballistic drop, and then spending too much time researching gear I call them materialistic hunters and not realistic hunters um, and they're not spending enough time behind the trigger and learning what your rifle is actually doing in the wind so I sort of I help a lot of guys out and you know what they want to do is they want to sit on their phone or the internet figure out all you know everything they need to figure out sort of knowledge based for their rifle expect me to set their rifle up perfectly and they can take it hunting that weekend and shoot to 600 yards. Um, so I sort of say to them, just grab a rangefinder, you know, gra- just grab the drop chart and go and practice and practice, put more time into practicing um, than researching the put out of everything. Yep. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. I'm a, I agree with you too. I get so – who doesn't get, you know, like we're always on the internet looking and sometimes when I look at all this info, I, go, I, I just get anxiety coming out of this because, you know, I'm thinking, man, there's so much gear. Am I doing – you can't get to sleep some nights yeah. because you're thinking about it too much. But anyway, number, yeah, number yeah, yeah. two, yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, a lot of guys are trying to perfect everything but themselves. Um. And I'm like, just get out and on a windy day and start taking practice shots and figuring it all out. Put, you know, building your own, building your own drop charts manually and things like that, rather than trying to rely on some sort of fancy piece of tech to do it all for you. Yeah, I would say another mistake that people make is trying to shoot or learning. I've, I've sort of messed it up. Sorry. Um, another mistake that people make is learning when not to shoot sort of shooting when they shouldn't be um so i'm talking about hunting not shooting so you know if you're at a target at 600 yards you can shoot all day long but hunting is that first shot is the crucial shot so that entails reading the wind properly you know if you don't actually have your head around the wind direction and speed just having the self-control to say, no, I'm not going to shoot is 
it's something that a lot of guys. So we have a bit of a bad. I get a bit of stick from people um, for saying, "Oh, you know, you're into long range hunting, therefore you're unethical because you guys wound a lot of animals." Um, and I think that comes out of the context of people just getting out there with their new rig and basically just pop shotting without the self-control of learning wind and all the different variables that comes into making that shot a killing shot. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Agreed. Mm. Was that two? Okay, was that two or is that three now? <laughs> that's, sorry, that's two. That's yeah. two. Perfect. All right, I was, I wasn't, I was thinking about it, going, oh shit, should I say anything? Is that two or is that number three? <laughs> but number three, when you're ready. A little bit long-winded. No, um, no, that's all right. It's perfect. Good. More the better. I always say more information for the listeners, the better. Okay. Yeah, and then my third one would be um, is it is important to have an extended knowledge base about what you're doing. So, so if you you know if you want to shoot to 600 yards, I really believe you should be practicing at eight or 900. Um, and so that would you'd need to have your head around. Coriolis effect, um, spin drift, and all those different factors that are going to affect your accuracy so that you know at 600 yards you're absolutely well-rounded to take a shot. You just have to hone in on what the wind is doing. Yeah, exactly, 100%. 100%. And you, you mentioned something very interesting a bit just like a bit of – about a minute ago on one of these things, people were saying, well, yeah, you must be oh, unethical to shoot long range. But I think even where people, even if you don't do that, even if people aren't wanting to stretch their guns out to four or 500 and that, I, I still think it's absolutely valuable. Uh, and I think you probably agree that people are able to find out you know, more about their rifle, find out why their scope's doing this, why why you need to dial the scope, why you need to look at the wind. Just because just because people are hunters, I think at a hundred meters, I think that just might shoot factory ammunition. Yeah, you may not need these tips, but I still think people that the more they can learn about their rifle and learn what their equipment is actually doing and why, I think is beneficial mm-hmm. even for hunters that may just want to shoot and get close to animals at a hundred meters. I think we can't go wrong by learning and and getting more experience with our equipment. Yeah, yep, that's right. Well, that's my opinion anyway. I don't know if you think that's yeah. about right, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, next one, mate, a uh, couple of tips. I mean, reloading uh, top tips and tricks for more accurate reloads. Any any tips and tricks for the listeners that you think that you've seen over... You've worked, as you said, on, a, on you know, what's 30 or 40 rifles for friends or however many you've, you've done, and what are you generally seeing from, you know, working out loads and so forth on reloading tips and tricks? Yeah, so I have a pretty basic loading kit. Um, I just use a beam and balance scale. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's fairly basic. Everything's kind of hand and, you know, hand-pressed for the Lee hand-pressed for primers. But the thing that I would say is start with new brass would be the first thing. Um and the second thing is whatever system you have, just repeat it every single time. Yeah, it's it's a little reloading's a little bit tricky because everybody has their some you know, the target guys are going way beyond what I think you need to do, but it's more about when they get their their rifle down on a bench, they need to believe 
that they have done everything that they can to achieve the best accuracy that they can. And they know that when they pull the trigger, they've, they've done everything the best they can do. But for us hunting guys, we're not shooting, you know, 100 shots at 1,000 yards. Um, we're just we're looking for that sub-MOA group, not quarter-inch group. Perfect. Yep. Any any other ones on there or? Not really, eh? It's, I just. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, like, I've even found accuracy, I could achieve accuracy in 308s with one of those Lee loader kits. Um, but you know and, what? You know, that's that, good. It's good because, I'll, yeah, and this is a good part about this this show that I wanted to do is about that people always ask you, you know, and a lot of guys out there. I mean, whether they're you know, they got families, they don't have, as you know, they don't have, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to, to spend on good mm. kit, and you can still get good results. That's what I want. That's hopefully the the purpose that I want to teach people in the show that, you know, you don't have to spend thousands. You know what I mean? You don't have to. You can get into it on a, on a budget that's budget that's suitable for the person and what they can afford. Like I always say, listen, if you can buy better and that means waiting a couple of extra months to get something a little bit better and to have a mm. you know a 500 bucks more in your pocket to put on a gun and then you know 50 50 extra 250 on a gun or extra 250 on a scope or whatever then do that you know i mean then do that if that's what it takes but you know i mean don't just sometimes don't people as you know and i've done probably we've all done it i've gotten into the sport i just i just want to buy something i don't care what it is i just i've got my license i want to buy something so you know you sometimes you don't have to do that take your time do a bit of research learn from good people check out some people on the internet see what you know what they're doing not all of them are always right but you can at least get a good gauge of what a lot of people are doing and then you know so come to so start forming your own conclusions about what you might need like how many times i mean when i first got my seven mil 08 stand i put a, a bushnell i think it was a six and a half to oh, 25 or something by by 50 and i'm like I was going to shoot a hundred meters with this thing, and I basically put a te- I put a telescope on this thing, and I thought, what a dumb move! And eventually, I went to a three to nine, and then eventually a two to seven because you know that's all I needed. And again, but you, you don't know these things until you, you know, people are recommending things, and I'm going, yeah, that would have been great if I was shooting a kilometer, but you know, I wasn't. And then I realised this thing was just way too big, you know, to to go hunting with, and yeah, but you live and learn. This is all about experience, isn't it? Yep, that's right. Um, and I, I really believe, you know, there's guys at Hornady, there's guys at Lee um, who have full-time jobs in producing better and better equipment. And so it's marketed very, very well, but we don't need it. And I'm meaning needs like quite literally. And we can do without if you have to. Yeah, no, I totally agree 100%. It's, you know, we don't always have to... You know, buy the best. You know, if your budget permits a certain thing, you know, buy that and then try and get the best out of that. I th- I find that a challenge now to get the best out of, you know, I mean, in my opinion, there's no substitute for, you know, awesome quality, but is it necessary? That's the question. Is it worth, you know, that heartache of having to you know, tell the missus you bought a two or $3,000 scope? You know, it's, you know, sometimes you might, especially when you've got kids and, you know, they need food and clothing and going yeah. to school and things yeah. like that. Like, you can still yeah. do it. You know, this is not the elite sport that, you know, some people make it out to be. You can still get some fantastic results on, on minimal budget. So, you know, just learn, be out there and learn. But uh, this is a, this is a very controversial one, so I want to go in depth on this one. Um, okay. And I spoke to about um, Nathan Foster about this one too and yeah. match bullets versus hunting bullets. Now, I've gone over... 
or most of my hunting rifles, I do use a hunting bullet. I use a VMAX in the 243, the 143 ELDX, but I did get a cracking deal on a bunch of 140 ELDMs, so I'm going to go over to 140s eventually. The 7 mil runs 162 ELDX, and the three the 300 Wim Mag runs the, um, oh, what did I run on that, the 208 grain ELD match, and a lot of people are getting some really fantastic results, depending on which match bullet you mm. use for, for hunting effects, and you've seen that on the on the 6.5 that you shot yep. those two deer with at what, anywhere up to, I think it was four. 45500 and then right up to 725 and bang flop pretty much uh, head plant straight into the ground so what are you finding what's your experience on match versus hunting bullets okay it is a very controversial topic um and my first thing that i say is if your bullet placement is bad unless you're firing a grenade it's not going to go well um so we're going to i'm going to assume that you're into the boiler room of the animal I am. I use exclusively match bullets and mainly the ELD match, but I'm also testing in my new uh, 284. I'm going to test the 198 tip as well. Yeah, and how do you, how, do you, how are you for I me? Mean, and you're 100 percent right there too. I've seen people if you, if you shoot them, you know, some people make a bad shot. You shoot them in the ass. It doesn't matter what you know what gut, what bullet you're going to use. It's not going to it's not going to work well yeah. for the animal. And again, you got to, as we tell all people, and I tell all people, try and you know, go to your ability. Don't be shooting further than your ability right now. Um, learn the wind. If I, yeah, the wind is one thing that's really, really pushed me, and especially wind, at, as you know, wind at the shooting location versus wind where the game or whatever might be totally different sure. things this is a lot of things to learn and um what yep. are you seeing in i mean obviously when you've caped out the 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 animals what are you seeing in regards to to expansion and those match bullets you're still getting good results when you, you open the animals up for meat yeah so i would yeah what i what i've noticed is an eldx or a match bullet a swiss grocco or anything like that will perform down to about 1,800 feet per second impact speed. Anything past that, you want to be using a match bullet so that it fully expands and you're making a bigger a bigger exit wound. So I actually tested the 30 cal stuff down to that speed, 1,600, and yeah, it was okay, but um, the match bullets tend to track through soft tissue and expand within a couple of inches into the animal. They don't always necessarily exit when you're getting... The speed's really, really low, um, but if it's doing the damage internally, it's it's doing what it should be doing. So, yeah, in my testing, I found that the match bullets give you more; they give you a better killing opportunity past four or five hundred yards. I think it comes down to a lot about you know speed, distance. A lot of these factors come into it. You know, I had a friend who was shooting the ELDXs too, and I've had good results. I mean, I was shooting some mm. some rabbits a couple of probably a month ago on video, and mate, I, I was just I started to think because I already bought the one forty grain ELD match, and mate, at about two hundred and twenty meters, I mean, some of these things were just. I shot them and go, well, there's nothing, like literally nothing. They literally vaporized. And I'm like, well, how is that happening for such a hard jacket bullet? Was I hitting, getting at the right spot? Was it happening to hit bone? I mean, you know, rabbits are only a small little creature. Um, and some of these ones were just literally exploding. But then I've had friends where they've shot deer at, you know, with, you know, those you know, just normal hunting bullets of, you know, high quality and quick, massive pass-throughs. I remember I used to shoot goats with the 7mm 08 with the 120 grain VMAX. 
mate, they would exit even at 190, 200 metres. Uh, they were exiting straight through with only a small hole on the other side. And I said, well, it depends what you're doing, you know. If you're, if you're hunting certain mm. distances, sometimes those hard, you know, those hard hunting bullets or harder hunting bullets will, you know, go straight through at closer distances. Speed, you know, sometimes they will open up quickly. Depends on what you hit. There's a lot of different varying factors. But, uh, you know, again, mm. you know, those bullets like hunting bullets, you know, opening up at long distance, they're slower speeds. They may not open up because of a harder jacket, whereas the other ones might hit and explode more and you know there's a lot of controversy with a a pass-through is even a good thing you know do you want it to come out the other side do you want full expansion full you know through the full cavity of the animal so there's a lot of different factors there yeah there is and there's a lot of different hunters you know if you're a meat hunter and you only want to shoot inside 200 yards then don't use a match bullet because you're going to come home with half an animal every day but um yeah, if you really want to make sure you're downing your animals past five or 600 yards, then use a match bullet. Yeah, no, it's an interesting topic. Um, you know, a lot of people out there, you know, they're on the Facebooks and the <laughs> the YouTubes yeah. and they're not not happy with it. And I said, you've got to use what's good for the thing. I mean, like when I interviewed Nathan, I mean, a wealth of knowledge as well on this particular topic as well. And, yeah, don't get caught up in the marketing as People, a lot of people get caught up in the marketing. You know, look at what the bullet does. Look at what real-world examples are happening. That's where I think the That's best right. best information is. And a lot of people out there are doing it like Nathan, like yourself. You've seen the benefits. You're seeing it, you know, you're seeing it on, you know, people making videos about it and, and you know, bang, flop, you know, kills. Or even if they yeah. aren't, I mean, no one ever, even with hunting bullets, not necessarily, even if you do hit it, you know, I remember shooting a deer at, what, probably 50, 60 metres with a soft point outback ammunition. It was factory at the time, 168s. Uh, straight, perfect shot, straight behind the right behind the shoulder. Perfect. It ran up into the game trail. Um, you know, I followed up about 40 metres, caped it out. Literally, the heart was butterflied till it, you know, the... the the heart was split in half, right down to the base of the heart. So it was only hanging, it was only hanging mm. on by about a quarter of the heart at the bottom. So it literally just split it open. And I thought, how on earth did this animal run this far with basically three quarter of its heart split in half? But yeah, geez, they're a bloody tough animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. You know. Um. Yeah, Nathan's he's he's bang on. You can't argue with science if it's measurable and repeatable. It's science. Um. And then, you know, with the internet now, everybody seems to be a guru without any testing. They have, everyone's allowed an opinion. Um, so I have a guys come in with their rifle and they're like, no, 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 I want to shoot the X. But, like, they actually have no literal evidence that they've built for themselves why they want to do that. So when you say, well, why, they're often the opinions are formulated off other people who probably haven't actually tested it either. Yeah, hundred percent. So you reckon if you're still going that one to two hundred, still use the hunting bullets because it's going to be better. Well, yeah, I think I think so. The ELDX performs really, really well with you know one or two hundred yards. And if you really, you know, if you're a really, really hungry guy and you want to get every last bit of scrap of meat off it, you're you're kind of relying on a different way of killing. So you're relying on the hydraulic and hydrostatic shock when it gets to the animal rather than expansion of a bullet. Yeah, exactly. Good point. Very good point, mate. A couple of questions before we finish off. Um, you seen any differences? A lot of people ask me. I get this question all the time. You know, sporter barrels versus varmint heavy barrels. And 
you know, I'm like like most of us, depending on what you're doing. Are you walking around? Are you hunting? What do you think in regards to accuracy and those types? Are you seeing any differences between sporter barrels and varmint barrels for, um, you know, not just long-range shooting, medium, you know, just shooting in general for accuracy? Um, definitely a, a thicker barrel contour makes it easier. Um, I always have paper, paper thin barrels, and I'm getting basically the way I'll do my load development is um, I'll go cold bore shots, so six minutes apart. So it takes me a little bit longer, and they're a little bit, you know, they can be a bit princess rifles. Um, where you have to treat them very, very nicely, otherwise they throw their toys out the cop. <laughs> um, yeah, so it depends. If you're a hunting rifle, um, you you really don't get more than one or two shots unless you're culling, culling goats or culling wallabies. Then sure, go for a heavy barrel. But um, you're better off getting a premium barrel on a thin contour, and that that will see you right. Yeah, very well. But even the Tika's three shots on a on an elite or a lightweight, and it's cooked. Basically, you've lost your group. Yeah, exactly. I can I can confirm that on some of those sporter barrels because I've got a few of the lights and stuff. And yeah, but mm. after about three, they really they really start throwing them, don't they? Yeah. So the the actual the old blued, you know, like the Winchester claw feeds and things like that. The steel is they seem to last. A little bit longer for some reason it's like uh, they were making the rifles heavier and um i think they weren't boring them as quick so the, the actual bores are central in the barrel and things like that um because i've found trying to suppress some of the um budget rifles you can actually lop the barrel off and they've been bored that quickly that the hole isn't central and things like that so that yeah those sorts of things on a sporter contour barrel affect accuracy a lot quicker. Yeah, 100%, mate. We're just going to go to a quick last break uh, before we come back for a final story, and then we'll finish off. We'll come back with Stan Leaners in just a bit. The new Zeiss Conquest V4 line of high-performance rifle scopes combines tried-and-true Zeiss optics with a rugged and functional design, providing high-definition glass. Enhanced with T-Star and low-to-tech protective lens coatings produces 90% to the eye-light transmission. This means excellent low-light performance and resolution across the entire magnification range. Zeiss Conquest V4 rifle scopes were designed as a lightweight, high-performance scope for demanding hunting and shooting applications. Visit o- usaaustralia.com.au to find your local dealer. Zeiss, we make it visible. All right, Stan, mate. Um, final question, and it's always one of, well, not really a question, actually. It's kind of a story. So when I say story, uh, yeah, people have got to feel like they're there. Maybe an awesome hunt you went on, time of year. I want to feel immersed like I'm actually with you there on the hunt. Can you give us a story? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um yeah, time of year, who oh, oh. you were with, weather, yep. you know, I want to feel like I'm living it. <laughs> right, okay, really, all right, and like I'm telling, really into it. Okay, my, I'll give you my favourite hunt story. Um, it's a little different because it wasn't actually with my hunting mate. It was actually with, I had a, a scouts on a scouts leader. Um, so, yeah, what we did is we organised... For the for the guys, um, they started at the little guys started at eight years old, and through to about fifteen, and it was a scouts club. So what we did is we organised an 
overnight tramp into the Orangarongas, which is a park that's quite local to us. Um, and yeah, everything was good. The weather was absolutely primo. And I asked my dudes, the little guys, they were eight years old. I said, oh, you, you, would you guys be interested in having a walk around for a deer, you know, having a look? And they said, yeah, 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 we're real keen, we're real keen. So there's three of them. Um, they're all spit young dudes ready for adventure. So I said, right, I'll bring the rifle. And at the time, I owned a 16-inch non-suppressed 308 Ruger American with a Bushnell 10 by 40 fixed power scope on it. So it was pretty basic. Um, but I'd done a lot of work with that rifle to get it to get it shooting really nicely. Um, so yeah, out we went. We did our did our activities on the Friday evening, um, camped right up by the main river or just up off the main river. So we just fly tents or uh, fly camped, um, and you had the the leaders and the and the little guys there. So it was really cool. Made a bit of a fire, enjoyed that. And uh, I said to them, right, I'm going to set my alarm clock because. You know, if we really want to do this properly, we've got to, we've got to do it properly. Otherwise, there's no point. So, I got set the alarm, and we had we had about an hour's walk into one of the headwaters, and I had a ridge that I walked up and had cut a little shooting platform. Um, so it was about 400 meters in elevation from where we were as well. So I knew I knew it was going to be tough for them, but I thought if it works out really well, it'd be quite rewarding and teach them, yeah, hopefully give them a bit of a bug for getting into hunting. So um, yeah, woke up in the morning and I had some up and go prepared for them because I knew that if we stuck around for breakfast it probably wasn't going to be a happening thing. (laughs) (laughs) True, true. (laughs) So yeah, um, got them all kitted up and stuck some up and go into them and a few muesli bars and off we went and yeah, it was. I knew we were going to be hunting long range because they couldn't keep quiet. Um, so we slogged on up the hill, and we basically we got to the lookout point. And yeah, straight away when I walked over the the edge, sort of when we came crawling over to it, I spotted a was a mid sort of middle aged stag. Um, it was nearly grown out in his velvet. Um, so this was. It was late February that we did this, so I was trying to get. The, I was pretty pumped because I thought, "Oh yes, this is this is going to be a happening thing." <laughs> I was trying to get the binoculars <laughs> set up for them on a on a tripod, um, but you know, there's three of them all trying to look through one pair of binoculars, so I sort of had to give them a bit of guidance there. I'm like, "Come on, you have to take turns, or we're going to lose our binoculars off the cliff." Um, but yeah, we set up, got the gun all ready, and I sort of walked. I really thought. Her stag's not going anywhere. I got to deal with my nerves. I was pumped. They were pumped. If it was any closer than 500 yards, they would hear us. Um, so I walked them through it. Said, "Look, this is what I'm going to do. I want you guys to spot for me. Um, when you, yeah, I want you to tell me where he runs. If he runs downhill or uphill, or what he does with his ears after I shoot, or if his front legs curl up a bit." So I set up and got my ballistics chart out. Um, range to that 530 yards I believe it was and then took a little bit off the incline because it was probably 15 degrees in in, the angle and yeah we banged it and I went about 10 metres and fell over 
um, yeah, so they were, we were stoked. It was all high fives around, and <laughs> they saw it through the binoculars. So that was really cool. Yeah. And we actually went went back down, um, had proper breakfast, and then we got some of the big, bigger, older scouts guys. So the fourteen and fifteen year olds, we all went up. We we had another five hundred meters to climb to get it to it. Um, and yeah, we boned it all out, and there's kids with eye fillets in their pockets and kids with back straps over their shoulders and legs. It was really, really neat. Um, so with seven or eight of us, we took everything off the animal and, yeah, turned it into sausages and they got got their own little pack of sausages to take home to their families. It was my most memorable hunt that I enjoyed the most because it was just teaching and, and introducing them into what hunting really is. The Kiwi way. <laughs> I've just been thinking about this whole time about breakfast sausage, man. <laughs> From a bit earlier, I can't get that off my mind. I love the, I love the sausages myself, and uh, yeah. I've been thinking about that this whole time. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's all a bit of fun. I'm sure, yeah, as your kids get older too, and you can probably, you know, get into more hunting. I'm sure you'd be glad, to, even though they probably have a little bit, getting them into, you know, hunting as as they grow. You got boys or girls, or a mixture of both, or Mate, I've, I've got four girls. Oh, wow. So, our last one's a girl as well. But, you know, a lot of guys are like, oh, you poor bugger. I'm like, nah, they just <laughs> got to spend the time with them and they'll get into it. They don't have to be, um, it's not going to turn them into butchers or anything like that. But, um, yeah, they love it. So. Yeah. How old are your kids again? How old, what's the age of your kids? So my oldest is six and a half, four and a half, two and a half, and then during two and a half weeks. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah. <laughs> Crazy, but uh, you'll be like one of one man in a, in a house of five gals. So, oh, it's going to be interesting yeah. as it gets older, mate. That's for sure, isn't it? <laughs> yep, definitely. No, yep. that's 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 good, man. It's all about family, isn't it? Looking after each other and uh, you know doing what you can. And I'm sure as the girls get older, you'll hopefully try and get them into a bit of hunting, and maybe they can hunt with dad. And you know, it should be very interesting to see, you know see how they, as they're growing up. Yeah, definitely, eh? But even if they don't, you know, I'm not going to push them into it. It's fine. Um, yeah. Stan, mate, just uh, people want to find you on the internet. They want to follow you on social media, see what you're doing, maybe check out a couple of your videos that you have posted. How do they do that? Yeah, so I've got a um, I've got a YouTube channel. It's called Hard Antler Hunting, so Stan Lenders, and a bit of a Instagram as well, which is called Hard Antler, Hard Antler Hunting as well. So, yeah. Perfect, mate. It's been great. I always love interviewing people from New Zealand. I know you guys got a rich, you know, culture of hunting over there. And um, I always say to people, people say, "Oh, you know, you're this." Stra-. I get it, rare, but people love the overseas stuff that, that they really do. I get emails about it all the time. But then you get the odd one okay. saying, "Stan," they say, "Oh, you know, but you're Australian hunting. Why are you interviewing people from overseas?" And I say, "Because you know, hunting's universal, mate. Doesn't matter whether." You know, I mm. shoot a gun here in Australia or Stan shoots a gun in Wellington or near Wellington on his properties or I'm talking to someone in Alaska or Canada or, or you know, in the in the Alps in Europe, you know. It's it's universal, mate. And, um, you yeah, know, that's what yeah, that's what I like doing. I like hearing different perspectives from a lot of different people. So Stan Lenners joins me here uh, from Hard Antler Hunting. Stan, thanks for your time, mate. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot for that. No, thanks for the opportunity. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.